0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
2: Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Fede and the spotlight is over. It's no longer the number one, no longer the most important league in the world. The Belarusian Vichyshire Liga, no more the number one. Bundesliga football is back, a bunch of other football is coming back. It 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 was fun while it lasted. Unfortunately, um the focus of other sports coming back and other leagues coming back, we kind of have to switch our attention to other topics. But maybe before I introduce the panel today, yeah, Bart Borisov are now in first four points of part of Torpedo shodino No one saw this coming. No one at all. Not even Andrew Flint all the way in Siberia. His team's looks kind of dropping down the standings.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, unfortunately so. The dream is over. I mean, it was a glorious period in our history. Um, We'll never forget the glorious week or two weeks where we were actually relevant in the world stage and uh, we'll probably slip back into obscurity now, I'm afraid. But it was good while it lasted.
2: It was indeed. It was indeed. Same uh, for Tim. I mean, um, your team isn't exactly in a good position either so you might be happy that our attention is switching to other topics
3: yeah my team is where where we left it off on the last place without too many good results but you know i'm glad that i can somewhat switch the attention to my real favorite team which is apparently hopefully possibly coming back to play football in about a month and we will talk about this today and um yeah i'm not too Uh, said about uh switching the attention from uh, the Belarus league, especially given my league position or league position of the team which I picked.
2: It does. This is how we roll, you know. Our teams do poorly, we just switch leagues. Um, I think that's that's a very good solution to the story. But guys, we are joined by um, a Ukraine specialist today, Vadim Fomanov. Vadim, do you have a favorite team in Belarus?
4: No, I never, I never ended up picking one really. I was quite busy with finishing up school at the time. So I never really got into it, but I assumed Dynamo Minsk would probably be mine, given the team in Ukraine that I support. I have no idea how they're doing.
2: Yeah, stuck in the middle of the table. I think, Vadim, you picked the perfect time to uh, have exams if you were able to do exams, because I mean, honestly, you did not miss anything in sports, but I hope you're doing um, well other than that. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Well, boys, yeah, we have our short news section and I am quite honest I, I had I gave control over the document to other people this week because the Bundesliga coming back and um, a couple other stories emerging. I was quite busy with Transfermarkt. So I opened up this document and I'm looking basically at five pages and the first thing I had to do is trim this thing down. But, you know, I I, I I can't believe you're starting with this, and I, I just assume Andrew put this there, because this is something that he would put there. Andrew, <laughs> four stolen in Yerevan, how is this relevant?
0: <laughs> well, Manu, uh, first things first. I'm, I'm very surprised, shocked, you might say, that after years of this podcast, you've still not learned your lesson. When you hand over control of the document... At least in part to me. You know it's just going to go absolutely re- crazy and we're going to have a stupid number of stories on there. Um, but anyway, the damage is done now. Yeah, this story is uh, its just a, a very brief snippet, but um, four statues have been reported stolen uh, from outside a stadium in Yerevan in Armenia. And one of them is of Nikita Simonyan, the um, Spartak Moscow legend who Tim will... Be quite happy to eulogize about, I'm sure. Um, I'm not entirely sure how or why anybody would steal a statue, to be honest with you. Um, I've seen people deface statues when they are of of figures that they don't like. Um, We saw Zlatan Ibrahimovic's statue uh, outside Malmo Stadium. Um, I believe it was attacked in some way uh, when he invested in Hammerby, their local rivals, not that long ago, actually. quite what Simonian has done to deserve this. I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, but yes, so there we go. Um, Simonian is lost in statue form along with three others.
2: Cracking story. Um, you know, so if you have a statue appear in your backyard of Nikita Simonian, please, uh, <laughs> dial in the authorities in Yerevan and let them know that you found it. Um, my guess, someone got drunk, but you know, you never know. Um, maybe drunk
4: we've all all been drunk before but drunk enough to steal four statues
2: (laughs) yeah actually vadim (laughs) i got stories
3: (laughs) wine Wine is crazy
2: yeah (laughs) i i have been to Yerevan and i have partied there i i think it's quite possible uh the brandy (laughs) yeah but um oh yeah i know where it was probably someone who had brandy and uh you know, maybe also watches Belarusian football, uh, is Victor Goncherenko. And uh, Tim, a new one-year contract extension. Um Is this a lack of faith being shown or is this um, maybe all he's going to get at this stage?
3: No, actually, there was a comment from the from Babayev, who is the manager, the the, the actor, the you know the piece, person who pretty much runs Tesca Football Club, and he said, "Listen, you don't need to really um, dig too deep into this extension. It's just a different situation. Uh, sorry, it's a not an easy situation financially for the club, for the whole country. Don't uh, really look too much into that. We just extend it for one year, and we will revisit it in a year's time." So um, he commented that. Uh, the trust is still there. It's just purely situation, uh, uh, because of everything what's happening in the world and then potential financial effect, which could. Uh, no, could probably will happen to russian economy and therefore to you know to evgeny Giner and csk sponsor so i think that's kind of just the the uh, the one the quick extension because they needed to do something but uh also Viktor ganchenko responded that he feels like csk is his home uh, he really l- loves being the part of the team and Overall, it was a very positive story. Um, it's really weird that they just uh, extended for like just one year. If you don't know the story, but I think Tesca played it nicely. They really came out and spoke about it, so really cleared all the confusion and just in general. If we take a look, Evgeny Skinner's time at CSKA, he has been very. Um, he made some some mistakes, but overall, his coaches' uh, coach choices have been very very smart and uh, proved success. Uh, with Valeri Gazaev, they obviously won the league and uh, UEFA Cup. Uh, Leonid Slutsky won the league, won the cup, and they consistently played in Europe. Uh, sorry, in, in Champions League, and Ganchenko has been the same. Uh, he has been. He's grown. It's it's his beginning of his. Potentially, you know, large, large spell compared to Slutsky and Gazayev for quite some time in the club. So I think it's another example of, um, Evgeny Giner being a brilliant, um, uh, People, uh, people's person in a sense that he feels the right and he makes the right uh, recruitment choices, especially at such an important role as the uh, head coach. So I think it's just another good example. I think it's a you know just a good story for Ceska, and I think they really covered it very professionally in a sense that they explained why there's one year um, extension. So I think that's great work from the club.
2: Tim, I'm actually gonna stay with you because uh, someone who's not getting a year one year extension is André Andrej. <laughs> What a transition! <laughs> uh, it's uh, a move back to Dortmund and then maybe obscurity for him. Uh, what's going on there? And then Sopolev has made his move permanent, so good news for him.
3: Yeah, quicker update what happened at Spartak in the pa- past couple of months. Unfortunately, surely, he's... Uh, his- Uh, loan is running out right now his loan won't be extended because he left to germany and it doesn't even really make sense for him to come back to do the quarantine and then start training the the team because the team will start training uh, in a couple of days so he will be behind and then it doesn't really make sense to extend just his loan for a, a month, and uh, financially, obviously, that's the reason. But the other reason that I'm unfortunately, uh, surely started very, very strongly and very impressive. But that they down after, especially after the winter break in the end of the uh, last year, he wasn't impressive, and i I'm, I was all over him in the beginning but unfortunately i tried to be positive but really his last appearances didn't really do much for the team he didn't really i don't know he doesn't seem like he has the motivation even he's like doing all the verbal things and he's like clapping and he's trying to be active but it doesn't seem like i don't know something is missing with him i think it's mostly in his head and well i never met him but it looks like he can play football, we all know, but I think somewhere between motivation and just like something in his head is um, stopping him to play. In good news, uh, Spartak signed a permanent deal for Sobolev, who is uh, the moved on a permanent four-year deal uh, from Krylia Sovetov. He was on loan for for the uh, first six months of this year and they decided to uh, buy him out. Sobolev currently, he scored, I believe, 10 or 11 or maybe 12 goals uh, for Krylia Savetov in the first half of the season. Spartak bought him. He uh, he uh, he really impressed in the first couple of games. Uh, he played and they decided to make the move permanent. And the final news on Spartak is that the owner of the club, uh, Leonid Fedum, who is also the vice president of one of the biggest companies in Russia, oil company called Luke oil he had uh, COVID 19 and he was really suffering and he gave a couple of really minimalistic comments that he has been through hell and uh but right now his situation is stable stabilized and he's going on a positive trend but still you know the the very wealthy person one of the wealthiest person people in in russia and owner of Spartak, definitely, you know, that's a massive status in the country, had had the coronavirus, so pretty much just says that nobody is, uh, you know, free from that uh, sickness which is occupying the whole planet. But glad to hear that he, glad to hear that he is going positive and uh, looks like, uh, you know, he's, he's doing better now. That's my update on Spartak.
2: Yeah, well done, uh, Tim. You covered it all. Um, curious to see... I think that uh, we're probably going to see Shirley in our next of the next words really soon. You know, next stop MLS. But um Andrew, this next news, I'm going to give you this because um this seems to be the sort of league competition team that you are probably more regularly covering. Um Tumpov to merge with Nishni Novgorod. I mean, why not, right? Let's just make sure that every World Cup stadium has a
0: team. Well, absolutely, of course. Um look, I mean there's there's two ways to look at this in my view. Um on the one hand, you could argue that, okay, yes, this yes, well, we're just trying to fill the World Cup stage I, I I would possibly say, well, you know, that's not all you know, the, the World Cup stage have been built, whether you agree with them or not, as an expenditure of state or other money. Um, but now they're here to make the most use of them, you do need them to be sustainable to a degree. Um so, basically, the, the, the story that's broken is that Tambov are, well, they're they struggling in the, in the Premier League. It's not of um, much surprise. They, they did have an upturn of form in the last few weeks, to be fair, um, but they're still only three points off automatic relegation. Um, if they are relegated, then they will merge with Nizhny Novgorod, which is where they are currently playing at the moment because they've not played in their home stadium, the home city, all season because their stadium doesn't meet Premier League requirements. So they're already playing there. So there's a small link there, in a sense. Um, Nizhny Novgorod themselves, uh, as a club, uh, well, they're they're not really going anywhere too fast because well, as we'll discuss a little bit later, the lower leagues in Russia have finished and they are not in the position to be promoted. Um, So it wouldn't be a case of them being a Premier League side, but it would be a case of them being a a slightly expanded, improved squad in the second tier. And without question, they would get promoted um, next season if this were to happen. And the thing with Tambov, they've been lurching from one temporary measure to another for the last 12 months or so. And there just is no market for a club in Tamworth anyway, There's little market for most clubs um, around the country, let alone and um, So I think it kind of makes a bit of sense. The negative side, of course, is that it's a very sad indictment that a current Premier League side, who on paper have a very good chance, very, very good chance of staying up, even if mathematically they're close to relegation zone, that are already discussing options not only about relegation but about folding all together and it is an example of how precarious the financial situation is for clubs at the moment so um there are some i wouldn't quite say positives but there are some logical reasons dear much as it will sound like an anathema to to german football fans to british football fans um it, it's just a reality of of russian football life so I don't think it's the worst story we've ever heard. It may actually save a few careers.
2: Yeah, the one thing I don't understand, Andrew, why don't they just merge even if Tumbo stays in the RPL?
0: Well, the, the, the conditions of this, basically if they stay in the Premier League, then they will be able to survive a little bit more because of what little extra value sponsorship they have. But I mean, that balance between you know, what they will earn in Premier League and the Fennel is not exactly a huge difference. And if that is a decisive factor in their budget, that is concerning in itself. Um, To be honest with you, Manu, I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see that angle being developed, whether it is actually just, you know, people talking about it or whether it actually tries to go through. Um, But look, put it this way, one way or another, in 12 months' time, or just over 12 months' time, I can pretty much lay my house on the fact that Nizhny Novgorod will be in the Premier League one way or the other whether it's merged with Tambov or not.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's a very fair point. Um going to give this next one to Vadim. Obviously, um Andrei Shevchenko has been offered a 2.5 year contract extension. I mean, this is not a big surprise. He's been very successful um with the with the Ukrainian national team.
4: Oh, stuff so- Not a surprise, but his contract was set to expire after Euro 2020, which obviously is not happening in Euro 2021. So originally the talk was about, you know, just having him stay at least through that tournament, which he's by all accounts will. Now they just want him to stay for an extra qualification cycle to World Cup if Ukraine uh, managed to qualify. Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance of this happening. He says he he dreams of managing Milan one day, uh, and I feel like you know half of his teammates on on that Ancelotti's Milan side have already tried and failed at uh, uh, being Milan manager. So, but why not give it a shot too? While he's at it,
3: but Vadim, I always had this question about Shevchenko, and I'm glad that kind of we have this topic and you on the podcast, so you can help me. You know, like there's this whole um. Vision or like you know idea that they're really good players they don't become good coaches. There are really a few exceptions like Cruyff and like a few other ones who really became like super top uh, player um, players and coaches. Um, could you please talk a little bit about his style? I'm curious because some you know some coaches are really good at tactical. Some people some coaches are good at like man management. And uh, you know there's legendary stories when somebody was like a just a good really. Good man-manager, but they had a number two who was amazing in tactics. Could you please talk a little bit about Shevchenko's style? What are his strengths as a coach? And uh, what he's really good at? And maybe where do you think he needs some help? Or maybe he compensates uh, some uh, something that he lacks with uh, his assistants.
4: It's uh, a lot of questions, Tim. Uh, I'll try <laughs> to do my best. Uh, well, been, man, man... you haven't
3: been on the pod for a while, so I've been, I've been piling this up. This is true. Uh,
4: so... I think man management is definitely uh, one of his strengths. He always gives his players a lot of credit and doesn't ever blame anyone publicly. And it just really comes across as an all-around nice guy. You know, not somebody with an ego, not somebody who's going to want to take uh, all of the success for himself and none of the blame. Uh, in terms of tactics, uh, I mean, Ukraine have really shifted from you know, a really defensively oriented counter-attacking side to a lot more possession-based. Play uh, if you watch if you watch the team play you know in Shevchenko's style versus uh, Fomenko or Blahin you know a few years ago it's like night and day it's much more entertaining to watch it's much more pleasing you know, Shevchenko first comes in and I see Ukrainian national team players string three passes together and it already seems revolutionary uh, but there's always been this question of you know how much is it really him and how much is it his assistance? Because his assistant coaches include Mauro Tassotti, who was also Ancelotti's assistant at Milan, and Andrea Moldeiro, another Italian. So, And you know, Shevchenko came into this Ukrainian head coaching job with his only experience being assistant to Fomenko at Euro 2016, which was a disaster. So the fact that you know he's really been able to, to revolutionize Ukraine's tactics, how much of it comes down to the fact that he has these really experienced assistant coaches from Italy, that's not really a question I can can Answer directly,
3: yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, thank you for that because, yeah, that's that's a very interesting perspective which I was looking for. I'm glad we have you.
2: Well, I'm it's glad we have him back. too. <laughs> I'm glad we have him too because, um, Ukraine is our next topic. And Vadim, the Ukrainian Premier League is supposed to come back next Saturday. Um, Ukraine quarantine, Ukraine extended until May 22nd, but there's been a bunch of restrictions lifted now. League is coming back. There has been, like, there has been in other leagues. And I mean, I've been debating, following this debate very, very closely in Germany. And there has been a lot of pros and cons for these so-called ghost games, um, games behind closed doors, right? And the fact that this is what we have right now, because let's be realistic, um, putting thousands and thousands of people into a stadium, um, is maybe not the best idea right now, but, <laughs> You fished out this quote and I have to start with this because it's just brilliant. Um Dinamo midfielder Mohamed Kadiri complaining that football without supporters is like a human being without a soul. Now, you rightfully pointed out that the main, main question is why is he playing in Ukraine? Because let's be honest here. Attendance hasn't been good in the league for a long time. So just maybe outline to me what the plan is with the UPL and where we are right now in terms of coming back.
4: Sure. So, yes, the this this problem that the Bundesliga has of what to do with the thousands and thousands of supporters is not a luxury that, that uh, the Ukrainian Premier League or Ukrainian football as a whole also has, which in this situation can kind of be construed as a positive. But, yeah, as you already mentioned, uh, the league is coming back next Saturday and coming back with a bang. Uh, Shakhtar Dynamo, the Ukrainian version of the Classico, will be the on that, that, that very day. Uh, right now, the quarantine in Ukraine is being partially... A, a lot of restrictions have already been lifted and more will be lifted on Friday, including sporting competitions of up to 50 people. Uh, and so we will see it hopefully if if things go according to plan, and resume uh, next weekend. So just as an update on, on where things stand and you know, for people who might not be aware, right now the Ukrainian Premier League has twelve teams and halfway through the season it splits into six, top six and bottom six as a championship round and a relegation round. And we are already at that stage of the season, so the league is already split into two. In the championship stage, you have Shakhtar running away with it once again. They're 13 points clear at the top, and they have the league title secured and automatic qualifications to the Champions League group stage pretty much also secured. Uh, and then behind them, equal on 46 points, are Zoryal Luhansk and Dynamo Kyiv, who will fight it out for a silver medal and also a chance to qualify for the Champions League. Uh, then a couple of other teams in that, in that uh, top six are just... It's uh, not Alexandria, Oleksandria, and Kolos Kovalivka. Oleksandria is the only one among them with any any uh, Europa League experience, but essentially everyone in this top six either gets European football or goes into a playoff for the possibility of a uh, Europa League spot. And then the relegation round, you have Dnipro, One, Mariupol, Lviv, Warsaw, Poltava, Olympic Donetsk, and Karpaty-Lviv. So Karpaty are in the only relegation spot in last place, five points from safety. And the reason there's only one relegation spot is because the league is planning on expanding from 12 to 14, 14 teams next season. So whereas only one team will be relegated, three will be promoted for the first league. At least that is the plan for now. So, you know, league comes back May 30th and finishes July 19th is the plan right now. Uh, the cup final will also be July 25th. And we're currently at the semi-final stage where Dinamo are playing Mubinay from the first league. And the other semi-final is Mariupol against Uh One thing that should be said about the cup is that Shakhtar won it four times in a row. But this time we we're eliminated by Dinamo in the round of 16. And this is the first time in 10 years that they won't be participating in the final.
2: Yeah, Madim, I'm really curious. So that's- what is the situation like, though, in Ukraine in terms of the spread of the virus and um, what has the government done in order to, to, to fight it?
4: Uh, I've looked up some statistics earlier. Uh, there's about 20,000 confirmed cases and five hundred around 550 deaths. Uh, I think, you know, there's been the the typical, the, the response has been pretty similar to that of the rest of Europe with quarantines. Uh, Mandatory face mask, um, you know that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if it's really, you know, past the peak or if it's almost over or anything like that. But the quarantine right now is extended only until Friday, and after that, sporting competitions will be allowed to be held.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting time. I mean, um, what's the status of some of the lower divisions then?
4: Yeah, so so while we do have some clarity with the Premier League, and it. You know, barring some kind something catastrophic, the season will finish, and we will know who is going, you know, who will be relegated, who's going to Europe, who's going to win the league. Uh, in the lower leagues, it's much less clear. So the Ukrainian Premier League is basically a self-governing entity. So you know what what they decide doesn't affect the lower divisions. Uh, and so in the first league, the Pershaliha, which is the second tier, as I mentioned earlier, three clubs will be promoted to the Ukrainian Premier League. And unlike the the Premier League, where it's you know Schaffter running away with it, it is incredibly tight at the top. So there are 16 teams in the Peshaliha, and the top half, the entire top half, is separated by just six points. And there are 11 matches to go, so still there there are plenty of teams still in contention for uh, promotion if we do end up expanding the league next season. But whether or not the first league is even going to finish isn't clear. I mean, there's the the president of the of the p f l the organization that runs the lower tiers has said that about half the teams in the first league are in favor of finishing the season and half are opposed uh you know some there's been talk of only having the top six finish, so just to determine promotion spots, which seems ridiculous because it's a sixteen team league. How are you going to arbitrarily decide that only six teams should be allowed to finish, especially when the gap between six and seventh is only two points? <laughs> Uh, you know, there, there's been varying reports of, of which teams want to uh, continue the season, which teams want to abandon it. Um, you know, the general director of the team that's in last place, Shina, has said he's either in uh, favor of finishing the season to give his team a chance of surviving or of you know, just stopping the season. But unsurprisingly, he wants it to be no relegation. Um, the manager of Avanhard, who are in mid-table and really have nothing to play for, saying that no one should be promoted or relegated, and he doesn't want his team to take the risk. That's kind of a sentiment that's been coming up quite a quite a few in the interviews with these coaches and and club presidents that they don't want their teams to be taking the risk, even though there's really there's there's not a whole, a whole lot of coronavirus cases in Ukrainian football itself. There was there was one reported case of an unnamed player playing for Minai in the in the first league uh so in the second league the Druhaliha, which is the third tier uh supposedly most most clubs are against finishing the season uh you know as i've written about extensively and talked about a lot on this podcast ukrainian teams struggle financially pretty much from the premier league on down and often have trouble finishing the season and right now it seems just the uh, you know the expenditures of, of travel costs and Things like that aren't even worth it for finishing the season when there's no gate receipts.
2: That's a big one. I, I find that, and, you know, you see that in a lot of, a lot of lower division leagues around Europe that, um, the reality is that to continue play costs more, sometimes more than to finish. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. And then of course you have teams that are relegation spots who are like, see this as an opportunity to just call off the year and say, look, this is great. Let's just don't have relegation and that—that's it. The season is over. Well, Odeem, yeah. um
4: there's think- just just the, the one thing I wanted to add is that tomorrow the the PFL will meet and we should have more clarity on what happens with the first and second leagues, uh, whether or not they'll be abandoned or they'll finish if the clubs could even come to any kind of agreement. But we're gonna have to uh, you know wait and see what kind of long term damage this does to Ukrainian football see if there even will be an expansion to 14 teams, as is the plan, mm. um, see which, which clubs survive. I wouldn't be surprised if quite a few go under after all of this. So it remains to be seen, but you know, that's that's where we stand.
2: That's the, the reality of Ukrainian football, I fear. Hey, Vadim, uh, I, I'm going to let you go because we're going to go move on to the Russian football. But it was fantastic having you on, and hopefully we don't have to wait months and months until you come back.
4: No, I hope to be back next week with the preview of the upcoming action. Awesome! It was Good great. Stuff. Great to be
3: here, guys.
2: Yeah.
4: And Thanks, a-
3: Vadim. Thank you so much. So nice to to have you on again. Yes,
2: buddy. Yeah, that was Vadim. Everyone, um, give him a follow on Twitter. It's at v um, Great source for Ukrainian football. Unfortunately, studies very hard as law exam and hasn't been as able to speak um, and write about Ukrainian football as much as we all like to, but. um... You know, boys, this, this is news that's, that kind of saddened me. Uh, Yuri Semin left locomotive. Someone has to give was me a, a yeah, someone was has to give me a background. Leave. Yes, exactly. That was like, I was just going to get to that, Tim. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I know there's a little bit of a scandal involving this. And then there's definitely a scandal involving the guy coming in. Ugh. Who wants it? To... Okay, Tim,
3: you because can we... I can I please? Because I'm just furious <laughs> here. This is not even my team, and why the hell I'm so pissed off? I'm gonna do Andrew Flint right now, and I'm gonna go absolutely <laughs> crazy because, like, to me, this is such—it's um, absolutely ridiculous. Yuri Sermin is the absolute legend of the club. Um, like, my team won the league three times, uh, Soviet League, whatever, doesn't matter. He won all those, uh, all three times. They, he wants all the cups, which the club has, except the one from 1959 when he wasn't even around. He won. He is the definition of, of, of locker. He is the coach who, who really, who really makes this team. And they tried this. They, this is the third time him leaving and they tried other coaches none none of the other coaches brought any success or any titles he has been he won the league he has been consistent in the champions league he won the cup the super cup just in the short stint of i believe it was about three or four years in the in the last time but um he's not an easy man to deal with he has a very you know like most of talented people and especially he's 73 right now so he is not easy person to deal with and i think i i just really it's it's and it's I don't really, I want to have to be cautious and I have to a lot, but the way the people have been saying, because the management which they have right now in Lokomotiv, again, allegedly, and I have to stress it a million times, but really, it doesn't seem like those people came to the club to make the team better and to work for the success. They came to the club to allegedly make money. And they tried to kick out Yuri Sermon because he said, "I'm not gonna buy some players which I don't know, and you know, we're trying to force me to buy. I'm gonna develop my my players. We have such a good young team." And he brought to the first team bad enough both Miranchuk brothers because both Miranchuk brothers were almost out, and one of the they they were pretty much done uh, and ready to go to Rubin Kazan, and. Uh, Then Yuri Sermin came to the club and he changed their mind. Both brothers became the Russian national team players and the leaders of the club. Barinov also, a player who he brought, became a national team player. There's a few other younger players who are now coming up. And pretty much what they're doing right now, they kicked out Sermin. um, And now they will bring some no-name coach who... We, we will talk a little bit in a second, but obviously the new coach will come in and say, listen, I need to to bring in 10 new players. I don't need those players because I have a different system that obviously allegedly gives the opportunity for people to uh, to use and to make money on, on transfers. I don't think it's a secret in Russia. Unfortunately, that happens all over the place. But uh, to me, this is just really—it—it just—it's so obvious what is happening. And um, to me, that's why I'm doing going completely Andrew Flynn style, uh, absolutely insane. Because I absolutely it, it is not football; it is money making. And this is the problem in Russia, which we have um, when people come in to the sport not to, uh, to not to win, but to make money and to make money in. Not in the cleanest way. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely like, I've been so, and I like, it's not even my team, but like, you cannot really kick out such a legend who gave you so many trophies, so many victories, so many European great nights and really didn't even let him finish the season and brought in for some, excuse me, no name, um, to manage the team, which is one of the best teams in Russia. And I have no doubt that the club will not gonna win anything with this new coach and and this management and uh yeah so i'm yeah this is the end of my event of my event and uh, yes
0: yeah beautiful <laughs> uh,
2: I, I, I had, and andrew do you want to add anything to this
0: or <laughs> well i mean i i certainly admire tim's uh tim's passion within his rounds and I, I i mean tim's basically covered most of what what I would say. The only other thing... I'll tell you what, I'll play devil's advocate here. I'll play the other side of it. Um, Yuri Semen is, what—he's seventy-two, 72, 73 years old now. Um, and there, there's going to have to come a point eventually uh, when when he does move on. And I think at this point, you look at Lokomotiv's team, it's not a young side. You've got the Miran Chuk brothers, admittedly, and Rifat Jemma is... Is coming through well, and and Siemen has done a very good job bringing through some of the younger youth players, um, like Magkev. Uh, I'm really impressed with him. Um, uh, Daniel Kulikov in midfield as well, but the the core of that side is not young, and it's going to need to be changed now unless they are going to stick with Siemen for a good three four years to transition completely into a new side. I, I know it sounds awful and callous, but if they're not going to do that, if they're not going to give them a three, four year contract, then they shouldn't give them any contracts at all because they're going to have to change. Um, if they give them one or two years and then someone else comes in and has to pick it up, they're going to have to restart building, if that makes any sense. So um, it's it's painful, but I, I can see a little bit of logic. I'm not saying I agree with the logic, but I can possibly, possibly see a little bit of
3: why. But, but do you agree that this could have been done way, way, way nicer? Don't kick out the man in the middle of a season during the coronavirus break when team is going back and you're in the Champions League position.
0: Well, yes, I think uh, without question you're uh, you're absolutely right, Tim. I mean, whatever your opinion of him, and I, you know, I have heard uh, a lot of reports from you know unnamed sources, shall we say, that he is not easy to deal with. But you no, cannot no. argue with what he's done. You cannot argue with what he's done for the club. You yeah. know, he's been there. At numerous times as a, as a manager, he brought, like you mentioned, all that success um, and he is he is respected. And I think, you know, we the last dance sports documentary that everybody's been raving about around the world has highlighted a, a side of Michael Jordan's character where he almost verged on bullying. Um, To get the best out of people. When I don't, I don't, I can't comment because I wasn't in that atmosphere. Now, I'm not suggesting Shomin is a bully at all, but I'm suggesting that you have to be an utterly dominant and respected character to truly squeeze every drop out of your players and teammates. And perhaps that is how it's interpreted. He's just simply a born winner that people, not everybody reacts well to, but he. Well, he deserves respect for simply being a legend that he is. And I think it could have been done with a bit more notice. Perhaps it was discussed behind the scenes and we just Mm. didn't know it. But I I do think it could have been handled better.
2: But what about the man that they bring in, boys, Marco and We have an article on him on uh, Football Grad written a while ago because um, he was sacked from his first job in Slovenia for racism. Yeah, that's the yeah. choice they made. So yeah. you know, that's an. In- I I I mean, I, I heard things about Maicon Nico that he's is, is fundamentally a good coach, but I mean, that is a strong shadow that follows him to this assignment. You know, um, it's an it's an interesting one.
1: Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
2: yeah interesting choice for me um you know um and what is the motivation behind that is is it it's an interesting question as well um yeah so
0: i mean manu i mean you you think about this like tim mentioned a no-name manager and he won't be known to a lot of people and uh, look over his career so far he's been coaching for 19 years uh, he's only 40 years old, but I'm assuming he um, had an injury as a young player and he moved into youth coaching. So he's had, he actually has a lot of, of experience and he has had some success. He's won league titles in Serbia and Hungary. Um, but like you mentioned, that, uh, that report of him being sacked from um, Olympia Ljubljana. Uh, four years ago that is going to get brought up a lot at the beginning because that's what people like to do when you've got somebody who you don't know much about you look for every story about them and you will dig up things like this and um, so he's got a challenge on his hands not only is he taking over from a club legend which he cannot possibly compare to he will never be able to match Solomon's achievements um and he's potentially going to have that hung around his neck as well and quite rightly so if it is 100 percent true and in the reports i've seen it's been reported widely um, so he's got a challenge on, and I'm not entirely sure yet how he will do. But mm. on the other hand, just purely on his map, uh, history and background, he certainly does have a lot going for him on that respect. Uh, whether it will translate to locomotive success, uh, at this stage of a season, bizarrely, as well, when Champions League qualification is critical, well, you'd assume it's still critical, um, it's, uh, it's a risk.
2: Yeah, 100%. Now, of course, um, there's also been rumors about Alexei Miranchuk perhaps le- leaving, um, other players as well. I know Miranchuk, there is, the, I saw the, the potential transfer graphic already floating around on Transfermarkt and in the international section that we have. So there's a lot of interest in him. Um, boys, on a different note, football is also coming back to Russia, June 21st. Now Russia. Yes. Yes, you say yes, but Russia um is on the path of becoming the next United States when it comes to COVID-19. The government has I mean there's 308,000 confirmed cases in Russia right now. Only 2,972 2, um people have died officially. Now those numbers are being disputed. That's almost 8% of the world of the world's COVID 19 cases and considering that russia is under reporting uh, tim is the country really ready to come back on june 21st or does putin simply not care
3: uh, see like andrew made this yeah sign happiness and i'm quite opposite me and andrew are gonna have a fight today for the whole podcast which <laughs> is makes a good podcast i guess but yeah um for Andrew, probably, well, again, he isn't too mean. It's hard to to judge the whole country, especially the biggest country in the world. But I obviously don't live there. So I'm getting only mixed signals from France, from press, and from everything else. But at the same time, it looks like, from my understanding, not everyone across the country at the same time took the virus as serious as it was. And unfortunately, quite a few Absolutely. cases within. And again, I'm not a virusologist and I should not be talking about this stuff but since we're here some somebody may suggest that um, you know the, that the peak is not passed it's still in a uh, you know especially with the number of cases it's still not going down Manu correct me if I'm wrong but I believe that uh, that the Bundesliga restarted on the 64th day after the peak after the cases went down so 2 months and Russia is starting in a month. When we have, when you know, that peak is not. I don't know how close it is, but I don't think, from what I understand, it has passed. So I think it's a little bit risky, and um, I am a little bit concerned about that. Maybe I'm speaking because my team has nothing really to play except the cup, and really I would rather have you know my players, the players who you know I support, to be safe. Than to participate in uh, you know those games without the fans, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's a little bit too soon, and I'm worried that it might end up in something um, not nice. Andrew, fight me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, Tim, there's there's two very distinct ways to look at any country's case in in this one. One is purely the. Um, the the COVID nineteen health aspect of it, which of course is by far and away the most important thing because people's lives and health are at stake, uh, and and the other is the, aspect, and and I know you can't separate the two; they are intrinsically linked. But I'll start with the COVID thing. I mean, Russia's the numbers being reported by not only Russia, but I would argue almost any country, it is so hard, even if that country is trying to report faithfully, you just simply will never know exactly how many cases there are in each country. So, you know, the the British media love to to quote numbers and say, well, this country has more cases than our country or whatever. And it's like, well, you, you just simply don't know. I mean, you use it as an indicator, but a rough indicator at best, simply because not every country can test as much as they need to. Uh, We know Germany, as Manu said before on the pod, has a surplus of tests um, from what they are needing on a weekly basis, but most countries don't. Now, in Russia, like you said, Tim, very, very distinct approaches to dealing with the virus. Now, again, there's two sides to that. Um, Vladimir Putin said last week he is happy for regional governments to make their own decisions on how their own regions deal with the virus. There's there's an element that is, I'm not gonna say overlooked, but needs to be remembered particularly that travel between cities now I know it's not the only country in the world like this, but it is certainly the most extreme example. Travel between cities is extremely rare, even on a on a on a regular basis, um, within Russia. And now if I go to Jakimburg 300 kilometres away, There isn't another city other than Bogdanovich. It's about 100 kilometers outside the and that's it. You either go to a city for a reason or you don't. So the spread in the regions is really not as extreme. Um, Now, in Tumen, we only had one recorded case uh, two days ago, one recorded case in the entire region. Um, Tumen has one of the first, well, it was the first, uh, Centre for dealing with COVID in the first place. So the picture for Russia as a whole and how that relates to the Premier League is is virtually impossible to to paint one picture because it just isn't you know it isn't one case. The number of cases in Moscow is going down, and um, for the first time ever, in fact, yesterday um, there were fewer open cases. There were a lot more, three thousand more recoveries than. Reported cases yesterday, so that sounds positive. But I agree with you on the sense that it's too soon after what might be considered a peak to resume from a health point of view. I'm happy because my salary depends on on Premier League action. I know that's selfish, but I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I am looking out for myself in a way. And at some point, it's gonna it's gonna have to come back at some point when it's safe. But then. How will we know, truly, truly know, when it actually is safe? So, Andrew, the
2: the numbers can't be trusted, and i tell you why. Because there is no way that Russia, with 309,000 confirmed cases, has only 2,900 deaths, when a country like Germany, with arguably the best healthcare system in the world to deal with this, has 8,270 deaths, even though they have only half the cases. Those numbers simply don't add up, and... That's a huge problem because what I'm seeing here is what Russia is doing, even with 309,000 confirmed cases, you will probably have to use the same argument with Russia than you use with China. Those numbers are not, don't add up. They just don't. And that is a huge risk. And I think that um, we have to be truthful about the fact that maybe June 21st is too early. Um you know, when is it safe to return? I think in the Bundesliga, it was safe to return because the tests were available and there was a surplus of tests and the league came up with a medical um, hygiene plan that even though it was very tight and almost watertight, it still was able to, Like you know, no, there were still issues with it. And I just can't see a country like Russia with the enormous distances that they have to be traveling Similar than it is here, I mean we here we're talking about hub cities, you know that you bunker all the teams into one one city um for major mm. league soccer, for example, have them all fly to Orlando and play there, and all all the teams would have to stay in quarantine and I would actually say that Russia and the United States are probably in unison when it comes to fighting this virus. they're probably doing the same awful job at the same time. they're very comparable as countries, so when you look at the United States numbers, I think those are the numbers that you look at for Russia. So I, I don't know. I mean, I can see them play, well, but I think they could only do it in very, very quarantined circumstances. And yeah, I'm kind of with Tim. I don't think the country country is maybe portraying a state of readiness, but I just don't believe it.
0: Well, I mean, Manny, I I can't dispute at all what you're saying about if we, if we're being brutally, brutally honest. Yes, of course, it is is too early. I mean, it's it's no two ways about it. And and I mean. It, I think um the numbers you're absolutely right. I mean to have one percent of confirmed cases translating into deaths is is a quite remarkable statistic when you compare it to virtually any other um country and I know i even I'm arguing against myself here almost that even even on that basis if you can't trust the numbers from anywhere, I'd still argue like you say the the video overall picture doesn't add up to those numbers but um I mean ah. Uh, it, the the approach of people here has not been reactionary it's not been uh, protesting against our freedoms like huge swathes of idiots in the UK and the US and and other countries to be fair um you know where people are actively decrying the 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 concept of of lockdown in itself to be honest here most people have just really kind of got on with it other than obeying the laws of, you know, some companies have to close in their they're reopening businesses this week, not all across the board, but on a gradual basis. Um, schools are closed still. And I think, I, th- I don't know, I mean, there are, very, there are very few care homes in Russia. Um, there's one other tiny factor. I'm not saying that accounts for these numbers, it doesn't, because like you said, I'm certain that the full picture of numbers, we don't know. But there really aren't um, remotely as many care homes as you'd assume. There's a culture of grandparents living with their families, and that's simply just accepted. Um, I, I don't actually know. I have never seen a care home in Humanity. It's a city of 800,000 people. I've never heard of one here. Um, and we know that that is a hotbed for the vast majority of, of deaths that do happen, um, certainly in the UK that's it's the case. Um, but, you know, when it translates to the football menu, I... I agree with what you're saying if we're if we're really if we're really trying to be as safe as possible then i think a quarantine center where basically all the teams gather so there isn't a continued spread over the month because it's going to be a lot of travel over a month it kind of makes a bit more sense you know Mm -hmm. a a sort of a a month where the teams or longer, where the teams all gather, probably somewhere like Sochi, because they have the Olympic facilities and, and it probably could cope with it. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard to really get the right answer. And um, I think something like that probably would make more sense.
2: Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, like, I, I get you, Andrew. I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. Um, this is how all of us make money. Um, it's a sport that, employs a lot of people and i i think get on with it is maybe the, not quite a 100 percent the right word but i understand what you mean is we have to we have to probably live with this virus for some time and we will have to find some sort of solutions to live with this virus in a safe environment so yeah it's it's a it's a very difficult one tim how would you feel about and i think this is, has to be the final point of this podcast because we're sadly running out of time but how do you feel about like alternative ways of finishing the season, you know, a hub city playoffs, something like that. Um, just you, you know, just to have a solution and um, you know, have a conclusion really.
3: Yeah, I think the the season like they they need something like that. And uh, to be honest, like if they just Stop the league right now. I don't think it will be fair if we just step step aside uh, from the virus situation. It's just really like there's two teams like like Matif and Krasnodar on the same points, and one go to the group of the Champions League and one go to the playoff, which is a massive difference. Same goes for some Europa League and say skies They still want to get to the to league. I don't think there is a, a solution. I, I, because uh, the teams are so... Everyone has different opinions. Some clubs really want to continue the league. Uh, some clubs don't care. For example, like my club, Leonid uh, that said, we don't want to continue. Uh, some clubs, they say, yeah, let's stop, but no, let's not do relegation. There's real no um, agreement between clubs and the league has to take the lead and what they've done, they decided to go ahead with the, the, the league. Alternatively, I think I agree with this idea about Sochi. Because, like, you know, I don't I don't think Sochi has too many cases. And then if you put all the teams and play uh, somewhat, again, like a shorter t- tournament uh, just to figure out who, who's going where, that would have been a solution. But uh, there was no agreement between clubs and the league took this lead because of the, as I understand, financial reasons. And I'm not sure if this is the absolutely right solution. So... It's, it's uh, like everything in the world is, is so uncertain, but um, I'm a little bit worried that he, what if, yeah, one of the teams which, which already have the cases would have to be put into quarantine. And the problem is right now, because the reason they want to uh, start the league as soon as possible, one of the reasons, because there will be only one week be- between two seasons. So there will be no preseason. One league finishes and then pretty much in the next weekend, the league, the next season starts. So they can't really delay anymore. So what if one of the teams gets, puts into quarantine and they have to, the whole team is really has to see for two weeks to make sure what does that, how does that happen? So I don't think this is a bulletproof plan and uh, we will see what happens. I just really hope everything goes somewhat well and they will be able to finish the season. Not a bulletproof plan. That's <laughs> Russia in a nutshell. Um <laughs> Is it the name for the episode?
2: <laughs> that's 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 a good that's name for be. the episode. But um maybe also another final thought. Sochi is Russia's Florida, so you know, the the United States and Russia can come
0: together. <laughs> Don't say that.
2: Don't say that. <laughs> the United States and Russia can come together when it comes to um idiotic plans about finishing the sports leagues and you know, maybe they can come up with a conclusion. But boys, um we're pretty much out of time, so some of the topics that we weren't able to cover we'll probably have to cover next week but um Andrew, I know you're excited and hopeful that the season comes back until then, where can people find you
0: um well yeah, I'm on on Twitter at andrew m i j Flint, and I will be yeah I'm still busy writing articles I'll post some that I've written about Russian football and about others. Um, but we certainly will be providing content on Football Grad podcast and written in the build-up to the Premier League season, hoping, of course, everything goes well.
2: Yeah, fingers crossed. And Tim, how about you?
3: Um, yeah, people can find me on uh, Twitter, which is Russian Tim sixty one, and on Instagram under Rocket from Russia or my band, which is Russian Tim and Pavel Bures. Uh This is where people can find me. And also the, the
2: artist who did the song for the podcast. So give, yeah. them, give them a follow. I think that's, uh, it's still very neat. I'm still love it that we finally made that switch. Um, you can find. Yeah,
3: I got, I received some good feedback. This is oh, nice.
2: Excellent. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. That's what we're here for. Um, <laughs> you can find me at, at Manuel Vef on Twitter. I, I run, uh, the TransferMark US account and uh, in the absence of my UK <laughs> colleague, Daniel Bush, I'm also going to run the UK account for the next week or so. So, yeah, um, give me a follow at, at Manuel Weff and um, I will be keeping you up to date with Bundesliga, the transfer stories, Premier League is coming back soon as well, hopefully. So we can find all of that on, to my, on my account at Manuel Weff. Well, guys, that's it. Until next week, do svidane. <laughs>